I'm tired. Live from Liverpool, this is The Morning Break with Tom Rogers on Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning everybody and welcome again to The Morning Break on Teachers Talk Radio with myself, Tom Rogers, live from Liverpool. This morning, I'm talking about sleep. Napping, sleep, hours of sleep, how knackered we all get and hopefully help us all out in our quest for a good night's snooze. Stay with me, we are live. Live from Liverpool, this is The Morning Break with Tom Rogers on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio. Good morning, people, and welcome to the morning break. And thank you for tuning in and thank you for being with me this morning as I talk about the power of sleep. Uh, It was a topic that I came across because I tweeted out a couple of days ago about people's sleep routines. And the responses that I got really drew attention for me to how little some people get in terms of sleep. And I I am flabbergasted because for me, if I don't get a certain amount of sleep, then I either need to nap or eventually I'm just going to crash. I can do I can do the odd day, I can do a couple of days, but when it comes to a consistent sleep routine of say like 5 or 6 hours, I'd be happy struggling. And quite often that's what I get, really, probably because I'm a very light sleeper. Um but there were a lot of people who replied to this tweet saying that their sleep routine was like go to bed at 1 a.m. and wake up at 5.30 a.m. And it's like, oh my God. And and these people are head teachers. These people are senior leaders. If that was me I, I and I was doing that every day, I'd either have to nap uh, in the day or I'd have to, you know, find another way. I'd have to drink a lot of, of Diet Coke, which I already do, or coffee or something to allow me to function. Um, now, obviously, I know a lot of people have kids and they always say, you know, I don't know, we have kids and then you don't get any sleep anyway, which I guess is partly true. But what I'm interested in exploring on today's show is how much sleep which should we be getting? Um, is the ways that we can measure the quality of our sleep? And, and also just channeling some views from across the profession in terms of uh, people's sleep patterns. And I've been very fortunate to have a contribution from Uh, four teachers on the show this morning who have shared with me their sleep patterns and their sleep experiences, if you like. Um, And we're going to listen to them in a moment. Um, And then I've also got a guest coming on who I'll introduce after we've heard from these teachers, uh, who is an expert on sleep. So we've got all this coming up in the next 55 minutes or so uh, on the morning break. Uh, before we get into that, uh, just to kind of say welcome to everybody, um, there was a uh, actually an email that we sent out yesterday. It was a blog. It's a new blog on the website, which says, we want you, which is true. We do want you. We want new hosts. We're always on the lookout for new hosts. So if, if you're listening to this live or if you're listening to it back, then then do get involved with Teachers Talk Radio. You could be a host. You could be a contributor. You could. Uh, there's lots of things you can do with Teachers Talk Radio. It is all voluntary. It's a huge team. 
Uh, we've got 50 or so people involved now in Teachers Talk Radio. So if you want to be involved, please get in touch uh, via the website ttradio.org. And also you can send us an email at teacherstalkradio at gmail.com. Okay, that's the administration out of the way. Let's get into sleep. And the first thing I want to do is I want to go over to Richard, who sent me this little audio clip about his sleep patterns. And I have to say, I picked on Richard and I asked him to send me this because he was one of the ones who responded by saying he had four or five hours sleep consistently an evening. So I, I was shocked by it and I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask Richard uh, how he does it and, and how it works for him. So let's listen for a minute. Good morning, Tom. I'm Richard and I wake up early. I go to bed at 9pm generally and my alarm wakes me at 4.20. Sometimes my body will wake me earlier. On holiday, I wake early generally. It's just a routine I've got into, got stuck into the, the physiology of uh, the, the lark. But it works for me. I find I work quite well in the dark on my own, get my planning done. I get things ready for school so I have something to eat. And then I get into school at about 6.40 they stop me coming in at six. So I have to do a bit more work at home before I set out now. I get generally between six and a half hours to seven and a half hours sleep. So I feel fairly rested generally. That goes up and down as it would for any teacher throughout the, the uh, term. But it, it seems to work for me and it seems to be something that I'm stuck with but I don't mind too much that, that time on my own in the morning. I can get my planning done. I get 20 minutes, 30 minutes reading done in the morning. I uh, read some funny things on Twitter and post some annoying things on Twitter. It seemed to work. So I guess that's what I'm going to keep with. Well, thank you to Richard for sending me that in. I, I couldn't believe that he was going to bed at, you know, 1am, getting up at half five. <clears throat> It'd kill me. Uh, it, I, think it's the, I think it's the getting up that would kill me. Once I'm up, I'm, I'm not too bad. But at just the waking up, I'm just not a morning person. If I had the option, I would stay up till 2, 2 3am every night and get up at like 12 midday if I could actually sleep that long. But I can't. But if I could, that's exactly what I would do. And I really, really enjoy it. Um, so that was Richard. Uh, another person uh, who, who kind of, I guess, similar uh, to Richard, in, 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 but not in the sense of uh, the, the number of hours they get of sleep, but in terms of somebody who uh, has a similar routine in terms of getting up early and, and going to bed late is Louise. And um, have a listen to Louise. Uh, very similar to Richard. And again, flabbergasted to hear that Louise can do this every day. So my morning routine begins with the alarm set during term time um, at 5.30 in the morning. I get up, have a cup of coffee and then do some exercise before getting ready to leave school, leave for school around sort of 7.30. And that gets me to school about 8 o'clock, which is just enough time to, to get set up for the kids coming in at 20 past 8. 
Um, I've had that routine for a few years now. And I just find if I don't exercise in the morning, I'm too exhausted by the end of the day to even consider doing any exercise. So for me, getting up that little bit earlier every morning to make sure that I can fit some exercise in because it is so important for physical and for mental health. And obviously working in education at any time is a particularly difficult job. Um, Without that regular bit of exercise, I'm not sure I would be coping quite so well. Um. On a morning time, it's not really a struggle to get up for me because it's it's embedded into my routine. Obviously, it becomes a little bit darker as we a bit more difficult as we've got darker mornings. Um, do I feel that I get enough sleep? No, not during term time. I'm always feeling exhausted during term time. Um, I usually go to bed by about ten o'clock, but probably the hour hour and a half before that I'm good for nothing really um it's a very 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 difficult profession to be working in at the moment it's very stressful um and obviously very time consuming as well so any school holidays half terms christmas holiday coming up you know a lot of that time is just spent catching up on sleep catching up on self care um but yeah, I think it's important for me to be able to have that little slot in the morning and um, just sets me up for the day and just kind of keeps me going through the more difficult times. Yeah, so that that was Louise Atkinson. Thank you to Louise uh, to for sending that in as, as much as Richard as well. And it's interesting there because the, the, there are people who will wake up at 5, 5.30am and, and do exercise for, you know, an hour and then go into school after the gym or, or whatever always in sheer awe of those people uh because i just don't motivation wise i'd find that really tough and and as louise said there in the clip teaching is a very stressful job uh and she she basically said that she catches up in the holidays on sleep again it would be interesting to ask Giorgio, my guest uh in about 10 minutes um about that and whether the concept of catching up on sleep is something that's valid or something that, that, that isn't healthy or, you know, it probably, I know what he's going to say. He's probably going to say it isn't, but uh, it'll be interesting to hear what, what he has to say about that. Um, so uh, I'm going to uh, play the third clip now, which is from uh, Amy. So let's listen to Amy. Cause I think out of the three clips, I'd say that Amy has it worst, I would say, out of the ones we've listened to so far? So I have a really negative relationship with sleep. The last time I slept all the way through the night was in 2018. And then before that, I can't really remember. I've been having sleep paralysis since about 2016, which is where if I sleep for more than an hour and get into my REM sleep, I will wake up and be absolutely petrified my body cannot move I'm not sure where I am for some of that there was a strange old witch lady in the corner who I thought was going to do me harm and once you wake up like that it's really hard to get back to sleep because your heart is racing and it's really terrifying which then makes me struggle to fall asleep because I know that I am going to wake up in the night feeling extremely terrified. So in some ways, I actually don't want to go to sleep as much as I need it. 
I would go to bed about 10 o'clock. I'd still be awake at midnight. When I do go to sleep, it's no more than an hour at a time. I'm waking up constantly. When it gets to morning time, I think because I've not actually had deep sleep, I can jump straight up and out of bed. That's not an issue at all. But obviously, as the day goes on, that's when the exhaustion starts to show through headaches, sickness, my memory is appalling and if it's a weekend I try and get in a nap in the middle of the day if I can just to stop the physical effects of having a complete lack of sleep. I would love to be able to get into bed and just fall asleep and not worry about what's going to happen through the night but unfortunately I'm not at that point yet. One day fingers crossed well that that was amy and you know when i listened to that i thought that's that's tough you know not being able to sleep properly and having that experience um and and then also teaching is is very very difficult um i'm not sure in some ways how they do that uh, how people do that because it's it's such a it's such a tough intense profession that that if you're not able to get even a few hours sleep in a night then I would suggest it's going to be very very tough to to be able to do that and to be able to to function to teach to engage with the students and and so on really really difficult so thank you to uh to to Amy there uh so we've heard from from Richard and Louise and Amy um I'm not sure if uh, Giorgio's connected yet Giorgio can you hear me no I don't think Giorgio's connected yet so hopefully he can uh he can he can uh, call in uh, imminently and join the conversation um, and hopefully uh, engage in this chat about sleep. But before we go to oh, here is Giorgio. Hello, Giorgio. You okay? Can you hear me now? I can indeed. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Brilliant. Yes, I can. Uh, have you got headphones in, Giorgio? Just to check. I have, yes. Okay, perfect. Um, we're just going to go to the new... There's a little bit of feedback, Giorgio. That's the only reason I mentioned that. There's a little bit of echo uh, on the line. So um, I'm going to go to the news. Uh, hopefully we can uh, we can come back again in, in a moment. Thank you. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. A number of studies have been carried out to find out the best ways to mitigate for pandemic-induced learning losses. Some which have been carried out in the US, Canada and Chile highlight the benefits of extending the school day. In 2020, School pupils in England lost an average of 40 days of school on site as a result of COVID. Despite schools providing online learning, there were still learning losses. The UK government has discussed the possibility of extending the school day, with reports suggesting that the existing cap on the number of hours state school teachers can be asked to work could be lifted. Studies conducted in Latin America and the Caribbean have raised the psychological cost to teachers as a possible consequence. While there may be benefits, 
Pupils would not benefit from being taught by teachers who are stressed and burned out. Teachers' needs and perspectives need to be taken into account for any educational recovery plan to be effective. In Northern Ireland, Education Minister Michelle McElveen has launched a £5 million scheme to support therapeutic and counselling services in primary schools. This new initiative, the Healthy Happy Minds Pilot Service, will run until March 2022. She said, the Healthy Happy Minds Pilot is one of a range of measures supporting the implementation of the children and young people's emotional health and well-being in education framework, providing support to primary school pupils with an aim to prevent and reduce mental health issues. When we consider that 50% of mental health problems are established by the age of 14, the importance of promoting emotional health and well-being at the earliest age is clear. This has been your daily education news briefing. Hi, Giorgio. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having you. Yeah, good. Thank, thank you for coming on. I know that you're <coughs> a busy person, so thank you very much for, for joining me this morning to talk all about sleep and uh, its various benefits. So I thought we'd start off with how much sleep should... Oh, in fact, before we do that, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. <clears throat> so I am um, a senior lecturer at Imperial College London. Um, I've been studying sleep for the past 15 years now, uh, ever since I started my postdoc in the United States. Um, the main research activity of my laboratory is actually try to identify the function of sleep, so try to understand why we sleep, because uh, believe it or not, nobody knows what sleep is for and what sleep does. Uh, we use mostly um, Drosophila melanogaster for our studies, that is the common fruit flies, uh, which is a very common and successful uh, animal model for studying genetics particularly. Wow. Okay, so what what when you say we don't know what sleep's for, um what do you what do you mean by that? Well, I mean <clears throat> I mean we don't know exactly the biology of sleep and we don't know why we do it and why all animals do it and why it's so uh, common in the animal kingdom. Uh we we do know that there are hierarchies in behavior and drives uh, that characterize <clears throat> basically um, the life of every every animal, right? We're thinking about food mm. or sex drive. Uh, we have a clear understanding of why uh, an animal might have a drive towards uh, those instincts, right? <clears throat> we have yeah. a clear understanding of what food does uh, at the level of a cell. We know that when you ingest food, then that becomes calories and energy and that actually sustains the, 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 the life of a cell and if, if you don't eat you will die you know exactly uh, we, we know exactly why that happens <clears throat> we cannot say the same about sleep we have no idea what is happening at the single cell level during sleep uh, we have no idea whether anything is happening during sleep in fact we <clears throat> we still cannot rule out the what we call the null hypothesis that is the fact that actually we don't need we don't need sleep at all. So it, the field is very, very um, primitive from that point of view, from the point of view of the actual biological function of sleep. 
Um, yeah, I, that's really interesting to me. I mean, we've just heard uh, before you joined us from uh, a number of teachers. It was like um, maybe four teachers, three or four teachers who were telling us about um, their kind of experience of sleep. And it was quite varied and, and so on. And some of them were struggling. And uh, two of them, actually, I think this was just before you joined the show, were telling us how their average sleep was to go to bed at like one a.m. and to get up at say 5 30 a.m. so maybe four and a half hours something like that in terms of sleep I mean in your opinion what is the amount of time that people should be sleeping for a night so <clears throat> in general there is a, we, we say that there is not really an amount of time that people should aim at uh, which is common to everybody is, you know, you should look at sleep as just one of the many biological variables that we have, like, uh, again, uh, feeding intake. We don't all eat the same amount. We don't all eat uh, really exactly the same things. We don't all have the same taste. Uh, and so it, it is, it will be uh, weird to expect that uh, sleep will be any different from any other biological trait that then we all had the same requirement for sleep. Uh, normally, you know, people uh, may Oh, you've muted yourself there, Giorgio. So yeah, you just muted yourself. Oh, sorry. Um, You're back now. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, I, there was a, an incoming call on my phone and I muted automatically. So, yeah, they are, they are basically the short answer is uh, uh, if we want to be like average, uh, if you have any reason to be like average, if you think you have any reason to be like average, then you should aim at something between uh, uh, seven and eight hours. Um, but in principle, if you're happy with less sleep or if you're happy with more sleep, then you should just do what your body suggests. Got you. Got you. Okay, because I know famously, you know, uh, Margaret Thatcher was probably a... Famous example of somebody who, who used to have, you know, uh, uh, two hours, three hours, four, you know, a, a very short amount of sleep uh, every night is what she had. And she'd get up very early and be at a desk early and go to bed very late and seem to be perfectly happy with that. Um, this it, seems to be a, a, a legally a common trait among um, politicians, especially of that caliber. Uh, but it, it kind of matches the... Um, you know the the philosophy or generally the, the general belief that uh, sleep is is lost time, and so politicians who like to see themselves as very productive, they will often claim that they sleep very little. You know, Donald Trump made the same claim. Uh, Benito Mussolini, the Italian fascist, made the same claim. In fact, he had a person who was going at night in his office, just turning uh, random lights on and off to show passerby that he was working until late or maybe yeah. not working 24-7. So we should not take at face value what people claim uh, their sleep pattern is because uh, often they, they do this to just, uh, you know, pro project an image on themselves, uh, which is the image of someone who is super active and, you know, never, never sleeping, in fact, uh, but it might not necessarily be the truth. Uh, I was going to ask you, actually, about napping um, because I'm, I'm quite a fan of napping. Um, I... It, it, I like it, um, but I know I'm very privileged in the fact that I can sometimes have a nap, uh, whereas other people with kids, etc., probably can't. But um, what is is napping good, or is it something that 
is it better to get a good night's sleep and not nap or is it be- is it is it possible to have you know a shorter amount of sleep at night and then to have a power nap in the day does it matter so <clears throat> i can tell you what we see in animals um and then we can extrapolate from that um animals tend to nap when they live in warmer climates and the reason is that um if you leave it where where it, where it's very hot like it could be tropical climate, but in general also, you know, southern Mediterranean in, in, uh, in, in the summer, it's not a good thing to hang out, uh, to hang around, uh, you know, immediately after lunch. So you will want to just uh, uh, stay put and avoid the scorching sun, the dry temperatures and, and so on. So nap is, is a natural instinct whenever the weather um, suggests that it's better to stay inside and cover and sleep rather than, than venture around. And it might be also for... Which, in, which that... in Britain is pretty much all the time, to be, to be fair. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it might yeah. be for this reason why, you know, when we think about a nap and we think about siesta, we actually think about those countries, right? Those countries that actually are characterized by that type of climate. Um, so it, it is possible, and, and that probably is the current view when it comes to animals for sure, that um, napping is a, is a is a is a type of sleep that is commanded by um, the biological clock, our circadian clock, uh, and it is a way again to stay out of trouble and to avoid uh, the most most problematic time of day when going out could be could be even dangerous, especially if you are uh, elderly. Uh, whether is a good thing to do in an environment like ours. Um, again, it depends on personal uh, expectations and personal experience. Uh, in, in a certain sense, it also depends to habit. So my grandparent, my grandfather, for instance, he used to to nap half an hour a day, uh, even when we moved from the when he moved from the south of Italy to the north of Italy, where the climate is very similar to to the one we have in London. Um, and and so certainly habit contributed to that. Uh, there is there is a kind of a coming back of the concept of napping. Uh, the Americans don't like to call it napping. They call it power nap, just to give a little extra <laughs> value to it. Um, clearly, uh, it's been shown that uh, a little nap in the afternoon is beneficial. Uh, it, it really helps uh, any cognitive function. Uh, the drawback is that you it has to be a little nap. If you, if you fall asleep uh, for too long in the middle of the afternoon, then you start having all sorts of other problems. How how long is too long? How long is too long for a nap? Well, anything, you... anything. You know, the, the sleep cycles in the afternoons are very different from the sleep cycles in the night. So, in general, anything around one hour or so um, is considered a good timing. Yeah, yeah. No, that that, that makes sense. Um, I was going to also ask you about your sleep. I mean, what, what do do you sleep well? I sleep like um, everybody else. So there are times in my life where I sleep very well, other times where I sleep uh, not as well. Uh, it depends very much on everything that goes around me, you know, work conditions, uh, family conditions. Um, in general, I think my uh, profession has led me to uh, realize that it doesn't really matter that much whether I sleep well or not. Uh, this is really one of the key aspects that uh, I think we should discuss more in society. Um, e- yes, sleep is important, but you're not going to get uh, excellent sleep throughout all of your life. There will be time during your life where you want, and that's fine. You can live with it. 
you can cope with it. You can even um, manage to function properly uh, without enough sleep. Uh, the, the, the biggest mistake you can make, or we can all make, uh, is actually to uh, give too much importance to sleep loss. When somebody with insomnia uh, goes and does um, be, uh, behavioral cognitive therapies, um, which we know is one of the best and mo most effective way to restore your sleep, your proper sleep, the first thing that the therapist will say is, it doesn't matter if you sleep uh, little or if you feel that you don't sleep well. Uh, try not to be stressed out because the, the, the more you are stressed by it, the more difficult it will be to for you to find a new equilibrium. Yeah, of course that 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 makes perfect sense. Um, and interesting, we 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 listened to. I've got one more clip actually that I'm going to play in a second of a teacher who sent me this clip about their sleeping uh, habits and some of the problems they encounter. And I wondered whether after the clip you could maybe share your thoughts on it in terms of your analysis, your suggestions, your uh, thoughts uh, health-wise and, and, and kind of uh, science-wise on, on what you think. Is that okay if we listen to that now? Sure, sure. Okay. When Tom asked if I would record a two-minute piece discussing sleep routines following a tweet I'd posted, how could I refuse? After all, a favourite topic of conversation in the staff room is how tired we all are. It's almost competitive. Um, I've always been a light sleeper my whole life. I'd go as far as to say that that's never changed since I was a small child. I have nights where if you can imagine that sleep is a river, I am like a pebble that bounces across the surface of it all night and eventually sinks to the bottom just before hitting the bank on the other side. It's a nightmare. Um, I'm a bit of a faffer when I go to bed. So often I don't really get to bed early enough. So I'd say probably around about 11 o'clock is my normal time for getting into bed. And I'll read until I start to feel tired and nod off. In fact, to be honest, I don't really have any problems getting to sleep. It's more staying asleep that's the problem. Any lights, noise, movement, stress, anxiety, all of those things um, will wake me up. I used to have a little bit of a pattern whereby I'd wake up at 3.15 uh, GMT or 4.15 BST, like clockwork, if I was going through a stressful period. And I think having children hasn't helped. I think kids absolutely wreck your sleep anyway. Pre-kids, uh, the strategy I used to have for coping was not to look at my watch all the time. Otherwise, you start that toxic countdown thing where you're thinking, right, well, if I go back to sleep now, I'll have had six and a half hours sleep. And then you look at the watch about 20 minutes later and you go, now, if I go to sleep now, I will have had five hours, 30 minutes sleep. And then you start stressing about the absolute, I'm not going to be able to cope now. I've not had enough sleep. This is going to be an absolute living nightmare. Oh, how am I going to manage the day? Why is it always happening to me? That kind of thing. So I managed to stop that and be able to do the whole, I'm just going to lie here. I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to relax. Then, as I said, I had kids. You're on alert the whole time. You hear everything when you have them, if you're like me and you're a light sleeper anyway. But I think the biggest problem I also have now is an accumulation of whiplash injuries that mean that when I wake up, when something has woken me up in the night, I find it hard to get back to sleep because of pain levels and quite often very uncomfortable. I wouldn't say excruciating pain or anything like that, but that just enough so that you can't actually get comfortable enough to fall back to sleep. As I said, it's... <laughs> 
I wake very easily. For example, we have somebody who delivers the milk on our street and they deliver it in a diesel-engined van. And yes, I do sound annoyed, because I am. I mean, who on earth delivers milk in the middle of the night in a diesel-engined van, for heaven's sake? What happened to electric milk floats? Anyway, I digress. And then we've got another neighbour who's got a security light that seems to be set off by every passing moth. And I swear it was stolen from some World War II prisoner of war camp. It's like blooming Tenko out there. Anyway, those sort of things will wake me up. They'll keep me awake as well. And so I kind of, as you can tell, I'm a bit of a stress head. I will get up and I'll go for a wander around the house. I tend to find that that works best. So I'll go for a wander. I'll take some tablets so that any discomfort in my back and neck is eased. And then after about an hour or so of reading, scrolling Twitter, yeah, guilty as charged. Um, when I start to feel heavy, my eyes feel heavy and I'm feeling lethargic again. I'll crawl back in sleep and then I go under. Oh boy, do I fall into a deep sleep at that point. I am fathoms deep. And then the alarm goes off. I have several alarms on my watch, on my wrist, because I have a habit of ending a pressing dismiss instead of snooze. So I have one set for seven o'clock, one for five past, ten past, quarter past, twenty past and twenty-five past. Usually by this time my husband has brought me the most enormous cup of black coffee you can imagine because he knows I'm struggling and I down the coffee and I get up. It... Well, there we go. Uh, that was Melanie uh, talking about her sleep patterns and goodness me, it's uh, a lot to digest there. Um, Giorgio, uh, maybe you can tell us what you think of all of that. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, that was a, was an excellent contribution because it really summarizes a lot of um, the aspects that are important actually to to understand to get. Um, I wouldn't say a good night's sleep, but at least a better night's sleep. Um, let's start with the fact that this this uh, person has a very very light sleep, right? So we, we have to understand that. Um, it's only been probably 150, 200 years that. Uh, Really, the humanity has met the the social environment that has modified our lives and especially our sleep in the way in the way it does. Um, we used to be, uh, you know, we are animals and we are meant to be sleeping in in a in a, in a place that doesn't have lights, um, no, doesn't have does not have artificial lights, especially um, any uh, as uh, undisturbed as possible uh, in terms of, in terms of noise. So it should not surprise that many of us will wake up to noise or to lights uh, it's normal that's that's you know that's what we were programmed to do by uh, millions of years of evolution uh, so th there is no other way around it other than just try to minimize those disturbance so for instance installing blackout curtains if there is too light coming too much light coming from the outside or you know some people prefer to sleep with a with a with a mask on their eyes um, so rather than just, uh, you know, blaming <laughs> the neighbor, which is obviously what we like, like to do all the time, but at the end we have to be proactive and try to work around it. Uh, so, you know, a blackout curtain uh, works very well. A blackout curtains works very well. Um, and, uh, and does wonder. Uh, regarding the noise is a bit more complicated because the masking noise is always a bit more difficult than just masking light. Um, I mean, there are solutions, obviously, but they might be a bit more expensive. But the bottom line is that uh, 
uh, you shouldn't uh, people should not feel uh, different or abnormal if they are um, sensitive to to external stimuli during sleep it's it's it, that's actually a good thing right imagine you again you are like a, like an animal in the forest you you will have to want you will want to be reactive to predators and to people might come to to hurt you so being responsive to external stimuli is something that we cannot really uh, hide easily uh, the other aspect is uh, the use of um, stimuli and especially light during the night this is something that absolutely we should be avoiding is is one of the most artificial in, in, um, intervention that humanity has made um, on on sleep so the fact that we use uh, tv set before going to bed or that maybe uh, we have strong lights uh, indoor, or even the fact that we use a mobile phone uh, under the duvet. All these uh, um, circumstances, basically what they will do, they will mess with your circadian clock, which is the, the, the most uh, tremendous mistake you can make when it comes to sleep. Basically what you're doing is you're jet lagging yourself. Every time you are uh, shining, uh, especially blue light, on yourself uh, after sunset, you are basically telling your body uh, that you are living in a different time zone because your body is expected to, uh, you know, is expecting to see light only when the sun is up. This is what our circadian clock is about. Uh, it's about synchronizing our life to the to the rhythm of planet Earth and its rotation, which is 24 hours. So any light that comes after sunset uh, is uh, interfering with the circadian clock and is basically jet lagging us. And most of the problems that people attribute to sleep are in fact problems that should be attributed to uh, circadian dysfunction. This is particularly true and recognized for shift workers, uh, but also for just regular, regular people. I, I, I'll tell you in a close here, the one mistake that many parents make, for instance, is to think that their children need a bad light. Uh, they think they'll be scared of darkness and they install a bad light in their bedroom. Sometimes it's uh, even a bad light that has all the components that uh, are more uh, you know, more dangerous from that point of view. So if you, if you really, really need to have a bad light for whatever reason, it has to be a red light. Uh, it should not have any blue component. The moment you start having a blue light uh, shining uh, even just dimly through the night, you are basically interfering with the normal circadian clock of the baby or of the, ch of the child. Uh, and that will make their sleep and consequently your sleep uh, more difficult. Wow. That Yes, that totally makes sense. And, and when we come back, just going to literally take a one minute break here. Uh, I'm going to talk about one of our sponsors just for a, a minute. When we come back, I want to ask you about your research that you're doing uh, at Imperial College. I want to talk about that. Uh, I want to talk about what you're actually doing there and the things that you found out, I suppose. Uh, did you mention something about studying on flies? Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, yeah. Most of our research activity is actually carried on fruit flies. Well, I, I want to hear more about that. We'll, we'll come back to that in a second, Giorgio. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. 
To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Need support? Okay, uh, welcome back. Uh, Giorgio, uh, that was Oxford University Press, who are one of the sponsors of this show. So uh, do check them out, uh, OUP. If you just Google them, uh, you can find out what they're all about, particularly with regards to phonics. So, Giorgio, I just want to ask you about this research that you're doing. Uh, what is it? T- tell me all about it. Yeah, it so, sounds intriguing. So uh, people somehow somehow get um, a little bit uh, puzzled by the fact that one can study sleep in, in fruit flies, but we can study many complex behavior in fruit flies. Fruit flies uh, can engage in learning and memory, and obviously forgetting. They have complex interaction behaviors uh, from the social point of view, like uh, fighting and mating and courtship. So a fruit fly can do and can recapitulate what what a a human can do very well. But at the same time, uh, the brain is composed of only a few thousand uh, neurons. And so it basically would allow us to, to dream at least of the fact that we can eventually understand how the, how the brain and how, the, how those neurons organize all that behavior. Can a fruit and, fly? Can a fruit fly dream? Well, we don't know that. We, you know, in principle, we don't know whether a cat or a dog can dream. Uh, yeah, we can only yeah. know whether another human can dream because they tell us they can. But yeah, 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 sure yeah. That they do right. So dream, dream is one of those aspects where it gets as subjective as as, as possible. Um, really. There's many aspects of, of dreams that are at the interface between science and non-science from the research point of view. Uh, but in terms of sleep, we know they do sleep. We know that they, when they don't sleep, they try to recover for the sleep they've lost. Uh, we know that they sleep more or less like us, so throughout the night, and at least the males, they also have a, a siesta. Um, so we know that uh, when they don't sleep, um, they don't you know, function very well in terms of uh, cognitive behavior. So they they memorize a bit less efficiently. They just in general are less performant. Uh, So they are a very good model to understand uh, sleep also from the evolutionary point of view, because we we should remember that whatever sleep does, right? The moment you look, you're up uh, looking for the function of sleep, uh, you're looking for a function that uh, will apply to all animals because whatever sleep does should be something that serves us uh, in the same way it serves uh, fruit flies or elephants or you know any other animal you can think of. Uh, <clears throat> so the evolutionary aspects of sleep is a, is a very important one uh, and can shed a lot of light on its function. We, okay. Our yeah. research is, is quite um, multidisciplinary, I would say. So we, we try to combine... Um, what people call dry science or dry labs. So it's mainly bioinformatics and in our case also engineering. Uh, So building new machineries that allow us to look into uh, sleep for flies. Uh, Obviously with the more traditional genetics and biology. So trying to manipulate genes and trying to manipulate neurons to understand which neurons are involved with uh, what mechanism. Uh, To give an idea, our latest uh, paper was published only a couple of weeks ago. In nature, uh, and basically tells the story of how flies can recognize qualitative stimuli during sleep. So, what is a qualitative stimulus? A qualitative stimulus is a stimulus that you recognize in its quality, not in in quantity. So, a quantitative stimulus is something like a light or a noise, which can be either more or less bright or more or less loud. Uh, but a qualitative stimulus is something like in humans could be a sentence. 
Uh, and so we know that humans can respond to qualitative stimulus. So if I call your name while you're asleep, you are more likely to wake up than if I call another person's name. Uh, same reason why you might be able to fall asleep in front of the TV set. And maybe there is a, you know, Bruce Willis action movie with explosions and, and guns and things like this, but you still will uh, be sound asleep. And then maybe the baby, your baby in the other room is making mm. a noise in the code and you wake up immediately. And so that's a different reactivity to qualitative stimulus. It tells you that some neurons in your brains are not sleeping, if you want. They are actively listening for input mm. and basically make you react when that input arrives. So you're saying that flies have that as well? They do, yes. We found that uh, flies uh, can... Uh, selectively react to some odors but not others and they will react to odors which are meaningful to them so for instance if you starve them a little bit they will more likely to react to odors which have a uh, link to food um, but an odor that might be even more intense and more annoying but has no link to food will not uh, wake them up um, and so we, we basically show which neurons are involved with this process we show that these are neurons that go all the way from the nose uh, to the sleep center in the middle of the brain. And these are experiments that simply you cannot do in any other animals but flies. Wow. That is so interesting. That is really interesting, though. Like, I, I never even knew that. The next time I kill a fly, I'm going to feel really, really bad. Oh, like, feel... really bad. Because I'll <laughs> think they've, they've got a life like me, you know. I, I'm going to feel awful, actually. Um, but but okay, that, is, that is really interesting. So... In terms of, I mean, I don't know if, how much you know about, you know, the teaching profession and, and, and kind of, you know, you've got these kind of fits and starts, if you like. You've got kind of an intense period of, of maybe you know, six weeks or something of, of really kind of hardcore, intense work. And then you might have a one week holiday or then a two week holiday. And maybe over the summer you have long, you might have six weeks or something. But essentially, you've got these real periods of stress. And, and I, I was going to ask you actually about uh, uh, stress and exercise specifically and how those two things might impact on sleep. Um, I don't know whether you know that or, or, yeah, or not. Yeah, sure. So first of all, well, I'm in a way, I'm a teacher myself because I, you know, I teach at university and our teaching pattern is not that different from, let's say, secondary schools. Um, <clears throat> maybe it's not 100% of our job, but it does uh, influence our, our daily activities. Um, and also I have two children school age, so I'm kind of, you know, and, and my mother used to be a teacher as well. So I'm kind of, um, I, I understand what you're talking about from that point of view. Uh, stress. Stress is really the most important uh, factor in basically affecting our sleep um, routine. Uh, and that's everybody's experience, whether it's, it's stress due to the job, stress due to money, uh, might be stress due to the fact you are in love of a, uh, with a person who doesn't love you back. Uh, these are all. Oh God! Stop talking! Stop talking about my past life, please, Giorgio. <laughs> that all con those are all conditions that will affect how, how we sleep. So that's why it is important, as actually your caller said before, uh, not to add any extra stress to the underlying stress that we all have. So that's that's why it's important not to think too much about. Oh my gosh, am I sleeping too little? Uh, you know, am I missing extra 20 minutes? I will be sleeping only four hours this today. This uh, creates a, a, a feedback loop that will increase the level of stress rather than decrease it. In general, in the field, we talk about maintaining a, a, what we call a sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene will be something uh, that is properly 
who will probably conduct us to 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 a you know a good start of, of a night. So it's it's a, it's a routine basically. So it means uh, uh, no lights, um, no strong lights after sunset basically. Uh, especially try to avoid, as I said before, blue lights. Uh, you might be aware that most uh, mobile phones and tablets they have a night light uh, function. The night light function, what it does actually is exactly that. It removes the blue component from the LED because LED uh, tend to, to be very bright in that spectrum. And so we, by removing the blue component, you are actually interfering less with the biological, with the biological clock. Uh, and so if you, if you have to work uh, later in the evening, you can definitely use uh, you know, night light uh, tricks to, to diminish the blue component on your screen. It can be either software or they're also screen that you can buy uh, the hardware shop and you put them in front of your monitor and then we remove the, 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 the blue light. There are even uh, glasses, actually, eyeglasses that you can put on and we remove the blue component from anything. So for some people, that may be the, the most convenient option. So that's one thing. Another thing you should do is avoid uh, physical exercise. So avoid physical exercise two or three hours before you're going to bed is something that uh, will improve um your your basically your bed avoid it was avoid that. physical exercise two three hours before going to bed it's very good to have physical exercise obviously during the day but one yeah. should avoid any uh you know a gym activity any physical exercise two three hours before going to bed uh, because that raises actually the levels and hormones in your body that actually will keep you awake and so it will be more yeah. difficult for you to fall asleep if you have done exercises just before going to bed. Instead, you should do those that we you know, generally consider relaxing activities. Uh, we, we, that's one of the reasons why we, uh, we do, uh, with children, we do a bath just before going to sleep because we know a bath is, mm. is, is more relaxing. Or just uh, you know, drink some uh, caffeine-free tea, so some fruit, herbs, tea, or th things like this. So those are the, those easy uh, very easy hacks, basically, that we can, you know, all adopt starting from, from today, basically, that might uh, improve our, our um, sleep pattern. One important aspect to consider is that if uh, people don't sleep well due to um, problem with their circadian entrainment, so for instance, excess of light during the night and so on and so forth, it will take a while uh, even if you if you adopt a perfect sleep hygiene, it will take a while until you get back to to see the results because it it, it is exactly as being jet lagged, right? And and so imagine traveling back from this from the United States, it will take a few days uh, for you to go back to the normal to the normal entrainment. Uh, and so any any sleep uh, hygiene um, activity will take about a week uh, to show. Got you, got you. And we, we, I talked earlier to Richard. I, I don't think you heard his clip, but basically I played a clip by, by Richard who kindly sent it in. He's a teacher. And in fact, I'll play it. It's only a, a one-minute clip, so I'll play it again. And the same thing again, Giorgio. Maybe you can tell us what you think of this. Do you think this is okay or, you know, what you, what you think of it? Good morning, Tom. I'm Richard and I wake up early. I go to bed at 9 p.m. generally, and my alarm wakes me at 4.20. Sometimes my body will wake me earlier. On holiday, I wake early generally. It's just a routine I've got into, got stuck into the, the physiology of uh, the, the lark. 
I just wondered what you thought of that. I mean, do you think you know a nine pm four to is it does it matter this this whole concept of of when you go to sleep and when you get up, or is it just a case of when people want to and it's fine? Oh no, absolutely. This is uh, it's absolutely okay to to follow your instincts when it comes to uh, to sleep time. Um, the, the the time at which you you are more likely to fall asleep is very much commanded by the as I said by the circadian clock, and it can be different from person to person. Uh, yeah. This is what uh, often refer as a owl and lark, right? Uh, some people like to go to bed late, and and other will want to wake up late, uh, and usually reflects not just on our sleep activity, but also in general on our. Um, Productivity as well during the day. We we might be productive at different times of the day and so and so on. And you know the biological clock is is there to synchronize uh, our life to rotation of the planet. So there is nothing more stable than the rotation of the planet. If you think about it, it's always going to be twenty four hours. And so there is no reason why uh, we should have evolved to to counteract this input. There is no reason why any animal would have evolved to fight the biological clock. So the biological clock is one of the most resistant biological mechanisms that you will have in your body. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, you will not be able to counteract your biological clock instinct. So if your clock says you, you are going to be more sleepy at 9 p.m. at night, that's who you are. There is no way you can change that. It's, you know, you're going again billions of years of evolution at that point. Not not not, uh, not just human race, but uh, every animal on this planet and every plant on this planet. The plants also obey the biological clock. So, if if that's who you are, that's who you are. Likewise, if you are more productive, um, you know, if you if you like to fall uh, normally to fall asleep later at night, that's perfectly fine. And this is one of the problems with society and one of the problems with school in general, uh, that we expect everyone to be up and running and productive and able to learn at the same time. Uh, you expect all the kids to be able to learn at uh, 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the morning. This is yeah. a huge mistake uh, because kids, exactly like adults, they will be ready to learn at their own pace. They might be needing extra time of extra sleep time in the morning, which we deny to them. Uh, just because we want to synchronize society to the same to the same pace, and it's, it's, it is a big mistake. Yeah, I, amazing. I mean, honestly, I've learned so much in this uh, in this chat. Just to think, because we're running out of time now, unfortunately, I was just going to ask you a final question, which is three tips for people to sleep better or have a better sleep routine or life. What would be your your top two or three things that you would suggest to them? Well, the first thing it will be, uh, you know, researching to what is a good sleep hygiene and trying to follow it. So try to remove all those aspects that you actively introduce in your life and actually make your sleep worse. Uh, and it's, you know, the solution might be as easy as just removing them from from your routine simply because you don't know that you're you're doing bad. So, for instance, watching the smartphone during the night, um, that light interferes with your biological clock or having a bed light for children. This is a big no, no. Uh, so look into what is a sleep hygiene and try to follow it. That will be my first tip. The second one is that it is actually better to have short uninterrupted sleep than longer interrupted sleep. Um, especially if you are forced to wake up. So one solution for those who suffer from insomnia 
uh, is actually to restrict their sleep, not to extend it. So actually go to bed later uh, and be happy with just four hours of uh, uninterrupted sleep to start with. If you manage to get uninterrupted sleep, then you can always work from there uh, and extend it and then go from four hours to four hour 30 and then from four hour 30 to five hours. So better to be uninterrupted, uh, sleep, to be sleeping uninterruptedly uh, than actually to have a lot of, uh, to wake up a lot of times during the night. Um, and the third is, uh, yes, you know, just uh, try not to panic if you don't, if you don't get enough sleep. Uh, try not to think that, uh, um, you must get exactly the same amount of sleep of your mates. Uh, <laughs> it might not be the case. Um, try to be flexible with your sleep routine. So if uh, a nap helps you, yeah, why not? Uh, why not taking a short nap during the afternoon? Uh, on the other hand, if you feel like uh, having uh, sleep during, or sometimes having too much sleep during the day might be disruptive to having then good sleep during the night. Uh, so there is, uh, you know, probably in general, I would say familiarize a bit better with the, with the, with the, with the literature. But um, unfortunately, a lot of the literature, a lot of the, uh, you know, the press and also some of the books uh, that you read, they tend to, to induce too much stress rather than removing stress. Mm. And stress, mm. as we said, is the main factor that will keep us awake. So that is maybe something we should uh, avoid. Got you. Giorgio, thank you ever so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've learned ever so much. So thank you. Thank you, Emil. And I hope you have a great day and a great sleep tonight. Okay. Thank you, guys, for having me. Cheers, Giorgio. Bye. Bye. Okay. That was Giorgio Gilestro uh, from Imperial College London, who I, I'm sure he won't mind me calling him a sleep expert. Uh, and uh, it's it's been intriguing to hear all that he has said about sleep. Uh, certainly, I've learned quite a lot there. I hope you have too. Noam's texting. Noam, uh, thanks for listening along in Iran, as always. Uh, uh, we've got a few listeners, actually, a few live listeners interacting today. So welcome to you all. Uh, I hope you are having a good day today, uh, wherever you are in the world. Um and obviously, that kind of concludes the morning break uh, on Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, we'll be back later. Uh, we've got shows at, at 4 p.m., at uh, 6 p.m., and at 10 p.m. So we've got lots of shows coming up later on, uh, British Standard Time, um, uh, for you to kind of engage in and listen to. Uh, it's been uh, it's been great this morning uh, to to hear from lots of different teachers. Thanks to everybody who has contributed a sound clip today, who has sent me a clip in about their sleep world and their sleep patterns. It's been intriguing to hear uh, the different ways in which we we go along. Do follow us on Twitter at TT Radio 2021. And I will see you at the same time next week, 9am Thursdays for the morning break. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.